Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear. We are going to jump right into this week's episode. Etienne is going to take over. We are talking about all things IP and customer agreements. And our very special guest today is Will Marshall, who is a partner at UBM Law Group. Okay, well, so the... The, the types of contract-related risks, and I'll just quickly sum this up, is the business risk, legal risk, and the external risk. And you spoke a little bit about the tools that are available to us to uh, ascertain that risk, which we'll get to. But I first want to jump into this idea that when I'm signing contracts with customers, there's often this discussion around intellectual property. So I wonder if you can walk me through uh, the risks, the exposures, the things that we should be looking out for uh, as, as CTOs as we look into uh, those types of contracts. Sure, yes. So there's, uh, it, it, first of all, just intellectual property, as we know, is you know things that are protected by certain laws, like copyright usually protects software, trademarks, Patents. I think most people are generally familiar with those things, but um, we also want to talk about the kind of the buckets of of those things that can exist. And there is the intellectual property that the provider brings to the table, things that are pre-existing that they create independently of this deal, even after the effective date. Uh, there's the customer IP sometimes. Sometimes they're just bringing data. Sometimes they're bringing a brand because it's a white-labeled you know, product. Uh, there's third-party IP, like if the provider uses open source or licenses in some other IP. And then there's sort of cr- what I'll call created IP, which is now we're working to provide services and we're going to generate something in the context of this relationship. And that raises the question, who owns it? Uh, and who has rights in it. And so you have this kind of, you know, this you have ownership, which is sort of like I can do whatever I want with it, or you could have a license to it. And I can craft a license that looks a lot like ownership, except for, you know, it could be even exclusive. It could be almost equivalent to ownership. Um, I have the exclusive right to do all of these things with this, even as to you, licensor, I can do anything. That's, it starts to look like ownership. And so, um, so you basically say, okay, we're creating something. Should, should the provider retain ownership of it? That's kind of the default. If you hire an independent contractor and you just say, create these deliverables for me and I'll pay you $5, the end, the independent contractor by default owns those materials. So an employee by default, the employer owns those materials. You often have an invention assignment agreement with that employee just to be careful and sure, but with an independent contractor, you really need to make sure that that independent contractor agreement says you own own the deliverables and, and they're assigned as they're created to you as the customer. So... Those are the kind of things that we're, we're, we're talking about. And when you have, you know, you can have everything from a off-the-shelf product where there's really not anything being created much, although you can get into data rights, and we'll talk about that later, but, but there's not, like, new code being developed. 
And then the other end of the extreme, you could have somebody developing custom software where it's all new or maybe you know, mostly all new. And the bigger the customer, the more they tend to have the position that, well, I need to own deliverables. And that's not always right. And I'll give you an example. I have a lot of SaaS clients who do enterprise offerings where there's a lot of customization work to implement that offering in the organization. Maybe it's a Fortune 100 company and 40,000 of their employees are going to be using this enterprise solution, and there's just a lot of development work around that. Well, in those cases, I don't, you know, the customer will often come to the, to the table and say, well, we own anything created or anything that's derived from our confidential information or some variation of that that they want to own the deliverables, and it's almost knee-jerk. And what I tell them is, look, um, if we're going to create custom configuration of your, um, uh, for you, we, the, provider, the SaaS provider, need to own those deliverables. They're a lot more important to us than they are to you. They have no value to you independent of a subscription to our service. There's, they're, they're of no value to you. But if we, if we continually sign agreements where we're handing out ownership in all these custom configurations, then our IP starts to fray at the edges. And it's not, it's not a clear sort of, um, you know, hey, here's our fence around our IP. We're kind of, you know, uh, doling out in sort of un, often unclear ways these rights and ownership in in what's basically a derivative of our offering. We configured our offering this way for this customer. Well, they own that configuration. What does that mean? So you want to push back on that. Conversely, there's other situations where they say, I'm commissioning you to develop an app, and it may be perfectly okay for them to own that app. That's, the, that's kind of the deal, and, and it's understood. The challenge with it comes with... Um, you know, whenever you do that, as you, I'm sure you know, uh, just like a, like as a, a lawyer, I don't, you know, somebody says I need a customer contract, I don't whip out a, a clean piece of paper and start from scratch. As a software developer, you don't do that either. And so you're using a lot of pre-existing code. You're using third-party code, open source, whatever. And so the actual brand new from scratch stuff is, is a, some percentage of that end product. And so what you need to do is in your agreements when you're doing a development work like that is make sure that you exclude from those deliverables that the customer owns your kind of um, general tools, your reusable code, the things that pre-existed that you use over and over again across customers. You have to come up with a definition of that. It's often called pre-existing IP or background IP and you want to exclude that from what you give to the customer, right? So that you hold on to that, so that that reusable tool you use all the time, you didn't just give to the customer permanently. And then, the, and then, and then what happens, what's typically done is the customer turns around and says, well, I need to know that when you, this, this app you developed, me, developed for me, I, I, I own it, I own the new stuff in it, and when I execute it, I need to know that I'm not infringing your rights in this background IP, that you didn't just sprinkle that at background IP all over my app, and then suddenly I'm infringing your IP. 
And so what happens is you have, usually have a background license that says, to the extent that I've embedded my background IP in your deliverable, in your app, I grant you a background license to it. And it's basically a covenant not to sue. It's basically saying, I'm agreeing that I won't sue you as long as you're using my background IP as part of this deliverable. You're not extracting it and exploiting it separately as, a, as its own thing. You're just trying to enjoy your rights and your ownership of your app, and I'm not going to sue you. And so that's the kind of dance that you do. You have this new stuff, you have the background stuff, you, license, you, know, you have a license to the background stuff so that they can enjoy their thing that you developed for them. Um, and so that's, that's all how it works when, you're, when, when it's a custom development sort of arrangement. When it's an off-the-shelf thing with maybe some custom configuration, it's a totally different thing and you just say, look, you have access to use this service, we might do some custom in configuration, but we own that and you don't need to own anything. The only thing you own is what you bring, to the, well, that gets into data rights. You bring the data you bring. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that would then push you sort of into the data rights thing. But this um, conversation around IP yeah, is is very interesting in the custom development space. And I know uh, some some questions come up around if I am outsourcing my my app development or who owns that IP. So I guess what you're saying is make sure that the contract assigns the IP to you. Yeah, if you're a custom dev shop and then you're going to you're going to have customers and then you're going to outsource some of your development to India to a dev team there. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. So you have like subcontractors or or or, or, vendors. or even if you're or even if you're the end customer, uh, if as CTO I'm going to outsource development of my a key component to to India or somewhere. Yeah, you need to make sure that um, it's it's not a default situation that you own that by virtue of just paying them to build it. You have to say that. And so, if I can, if I can, um, just for the sake of this conversation, you mentioned uh, the default for a contractor is that they own the IP, and the default for an employee is that they own the IP. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 sort of the default that when. When an employee works on their customer's, I mean, on their employer's business, on their employee's time, you know, using their employer's equipment, that's all owned by uh, the employer. If you're in your garage working on designing a toaster and it's got, and it's on your own time and it's got nothing to do with the employer, then the employee owns that. And in fact, in California, you have to have, you have to put specific statute a statute in the customer in the invention assignment agreement acknowledging that you're not claiming rights in stuff they make on their own time the employee makes on their own time interesting so so that is a uh, gray area I, I guess um like if i'm if i'm coding it on the employer's laptop employer issued laptop outside of work hours yeah, it's 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 not it's not definitive and it can get gray. So it's and it's not any one of those factors. So you can't say, well, um, employee, you were you know in off hours you were developing this app that's got nothing to do with our business, but it, you happen to do it on the on the laptop we issued you. So therefore, it's ours. It doesn't quite work that way. 
and I don't think it would, you know, you would be, you would be able to say we own that, but, and conversely, if they were working on their own laptop, but it was really, you know, in your, do in the employer's domain, you know, during, particularly during working hours, although working hours can get really fuzzy in the tech space, you know, what does that mean? Um, then, then, you know, it, it's just, would the employer, you know, just look at it practically, would the employer expect that that's, that's sort of the stuff I want you to be working on for me, and therefore I own it, and, and, and in the invention assignment agreements, what you do, another thing you do is you say, you have disclosed on exhibit B all the prior inventions you're bringing to the table, employee, and if it's none, check the none box. And so you get the employee on the record saying, like, tell me what it is now. Don't tell me when we're in the middle of a dispute that, oh, no, 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 I had developed this way before I even came to you, employer. So you want to get them on the record, and you want that none checked, preferably, if that's, if that's an accurate case. Or if there's something, spell it out there. So the you know we talk about the risks of IP you know we we talked about kind of what all the components are and who can own what and the risks associated that with that are are third party infringement whenever there's somebody bringing to the table existing IP or creating IP everybody's worried about whether that infringes a third party's IP and some areas are prone to predatory uh, patent trolls, you know, they're crowded with them, so everybody's worried about that. So, Will, can you give us an example of that? So, an example, uh, patent trolls are non-practicing entities. They they basically, you're familiar with, with that concept, patent troll? Yes, yes, okay, uh, yeah. but in terms, of, in terms of the third-party infringement. Yeah, right. So, so the, the, the client wants to know that, you know, the provider's typically one, the one bringing all this IP to bear and saying, here, customer, use this stuff. So the customer is concerned that they are going to um, be using something that is infringing a third party because the provider wasn't careful or maybe misappropriated it or something like that. And then the customer may be the big pocket as between, you know, the provider's got, you know, a tiny little business, the customer's a giant company, and the lawsuit's going to tend to gravitate towards where the money is, and they're going to go after the customer. It's a little bit less likely that you're going to get, the customer's going to get hit with an infringement suit when it's a SaaS product than if it's on-prem licensing, where the customer's actually executing the software, but it's still a risk. Uh, and so... The customer wants to know that there's an indemnity that says that um, the provider will will cover them if that if they if the customer in fact gets sued for infringement of a third party when they use that that offering and that's the kind of the traditional. There's actually two ways to address infringement. You'll see in contracts some will say provider reps and warrants that this solution does not infringe a third party's rights. And then if that turns out to be not the case, they've breached a warranty and they got to make it right. And then the other th the way is to say, I indemnify you. I'll pay for the lawyers. I'll hire the lawyers. I'll pay for the settlement 
if you get sued for infringement on account of my solution. And some customers want to get both of those, but to me that's kind of uh, double dipping. You should get one or the other, and usually preferably indemnity. So it's, it's in other words, it's saying, I'm not going to warrant that this doesn't infringe because I don't know that. There's just, it's just too complicated for me to say that this doesn't infringe my solution. But if you get sued, then I will step in and handle it through an indemnity. Thank you so much for joining us here in the CTO studio, and we do want to give a thanks to our our guest, Will Marshall, who is a partner at UBM Law Group based out of San Diego. We'll be back next week with part two of this interview, where we're digging deep into partnerships and clients, service providers, and threats to your IP. As always, go check out 7CTOs.com, as well as Will Marshall's LinkedIn, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>